0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Out of the disaster in New Orleans, known as Hurricane Katrina, has emerged an entirely new educational system. On the eve of the great storm 15 years ago, the city's schools were already tottering. Schools were among the lowest performing in the nation. School board corruption had been exposed and the state had already pronounced its plan to take over many of the city's schools. To top it off, the wind and water destroyed classrooms and playgrounds across the city. Restoring the system meant much more than just reconstructing the buildings. An entirely new governance structure was put together, and charter schools played a major role in this respect, though some district schools continued to operate. But New Orleans became known as the city of school choice. Quite apart from the city's private schools, families could now select from charter schools, state-operated schools, district schools, a lot of variety uh, within each of these sectors. But has all this choice and competition produced a better system in which students are learning more? That is the question that a team of scholars at the Education Research Alliance for New Orleans Headed up by Doug Harris, a Tulane economist, has been examining carefully for, for many years. And now this summer, the Alliance has released a major new report entitled How is New Orleans School Performance Evolving and Why? So I'm very pleased to have Doug Harris with me here on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Doug, for joining me on the Education Exchange.
1: Paul, thanks for having me.
0: Well, Doug, let's ask the big question first. Are schools in New Orleans better today than they were that day back in two thousand and five, when water poured over city dikes and swamped many neighborhoods and schools?
1: Yeah, I think there's no question that they're better. And on any measure we can come up with—test uh, scores, high school graduation, college attendance, college persistence, college graduation, uh, uh, parent satisfaction—all those measures have noticeably improved since then, and it seems pretty clear that it really was the reforms that were the main driver of that.
0: So what's the major measuring stick that you use to assess the quality of the schools in New Orleans?
1: Well, the, the measures that I that I mentioned a minute ago that were the outcomes we were looking at, but then the question is, well, how do you figure out what the effect is uh, from that? And so we used a, an approach called difference in differences where we looked at New Orleans before and after the reforms, but then also compared the trends in New Orleans to match comparison groups of districts uh, around the state, so, so districts that look similar and that were following a similar trend line to New Orleans just beforehand, uh, and then then we looked and could see that New Orleans uh, had a sharp upward break uh, after the reforms started, and, and that, that increase continues today.
0: Well, one of the things you do is to, uh, you don't look at just the level of performance of the students, you look at how much they're actually learning from one year to the next, so you know how well they did in third grade, and then you look how well they're doing in fourth grade, and you see that they... They learn a full year that year, or did they not learn a full year that right. year? Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. The new report uh, does the, the student growth measures, or uh, or these value-added measures that, that show a similar pattern to the the earlier report, where we looked at a, a wider range of outcomes in the prior report, but uh, but hadn't looked at it in the the, the value-added uh, method.
0: And the, and the value added uh, really does confirm those earlier findings that uh, you're getting much more value added in New Orleans than you are elsewhere in the state of, New or- uh, state that's, of Louisiana. That's right. That's
1: right. So it yeah, largely uh, follows exactly the same patterns that we saw before.
0: Well, I know some people are going to say, well, yes, but is that a fair comparison? Can you really compare New Orleans to uh, rural parts of, uh, of the state?
1: So, there are a couple of issues here. I think one is just the, the general kind of demographics of the districts and and we did it many different ways. so we in some cases compared to the whole state. in some cases we compared just to districts surrounding New Orleans that are not uh, rural districts that are, that are more suburban in nature and that were also affected by the hurricanes. Uh, in some cases, we also identified specific schools or separate schools within each of those districts that. Uh, that looked similar to the distribution of schools in New Orleans. And no matter how we did it, we came to the same answer uh, pretty much every time.
0: Well, then another question that people come up with, and I I wonder how you uh, deal with this, and that's uh, because of Katrina, a lot of people just literally left the city, and I think some of them never came back. And then other people have moved in, and so there's been a lot of uh, turnover in in the composition of the city, um, could that help to explain why the schools are looking better today?
1: That was certainly the big concern going in. I think one that we weren't really sure whether we were gonna, going to be uh, able to tease that out or not. But it, we we went about it in in several different ways to try to to isolate the effect of the, the population or, or demographic changes from from the reform. So the first one was just to look at uh, the usual percent free and reduced lunch, percent uh, uh, minority. Uh, measures, and you don't see many changes in those. Uh, but that's not a great measure necessarily, because free and reduced lunch is just looking at a particular threshold of poverty, and New Orleans has a lot of deep poverty. So we were worried that maybe, maybe that wasn't really telling us uh, the real story. So we also went to the Census Bureau uh, and asked them to provide us some additional numbers that that told us the the detailed demographics of students in public schools before and after. Uh, the reforms took place, and they they look quite similar. In some cases, actually, the demographics look a little bit more disadvantaged uh, afterwards, uh, but for the most part, they look the same, and so there there was no evidence uh, from that either that the the demographic shift was an explanation. Uh, I think the most convincing thing that we did actually was to, to look at the people who did return, look at the students before and after. So, say, you had a Student who was in third grade in 2004, in 2005, just before the hurricane, some of them returned, and so we could compare the ones who returned to to those who did not return to see whether students who were returning were just higher performing to start with. Uh, and we actually don't see any evidence uh, of that at the beginning, and that was true that the students were a little bit more advantaged because the 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 wealthier uh, parts of town people were able to come back a little faster but within a few years the the scores were almost exactly the same as as what they had been uh, before for for the the overall population of students so uh, no matter how we looked at it we we couldn't see the the population changes as an explanation for any of this
0: so uh, you see improvement in in all the schools, or do you see it concentrated in certain kinds of schools or what's what's the you know where do you see the biggest improvement
1: Yeah, so that was really what this new report was trying to focus on and and what we've we've seen as sort of part of our mission in this work is to not just understand whether it had an effect uh, on student outcomes but how the effect emerged uh, so in the past, we've looked at school spending and we've looked at uh, Uh, changes in the the teacher workforce, uh, for example, changes in the learning and the work environments, and and so on. This one was really focused on the process of of closure and takeover. So there was the initial takeover to schools that came right after Katrina that was really the state takeover that shifted control from the district uh, to the state for almost all the schools. Uh, but then there was a subsequent process where, because they were charter schools, they were operating under performance-based contracts, and that the state then opened up some schools, opened up some charter schools, and then uh, decided that they were too low-performing, didn't weren't meeting the requirements of the contract, and then took them over and handed them over to alternative uh, charter operators. Uh, in other cases, they were just opening new schools, not necessarily replacing ones that they were taking over, but just opening new schools as the population started to, to return. And what we found was that that was really the process that was driving it. The alternative possibility was that you know, a lot of the schools opened right away, and maybe those schools just kept getting better over time. Maybe the ones that opened in 2006, 2007, they uh, started off okay, and then they just got better and better and better, and that's why we saw these improvements you know, uh, up through 2016. Uh, but that, that wasn't what we saw at all. What we did see was that almost all the schools that opened in 2007 got better for one year. You know, the first year opening after the hurricane was naturally uh, very difficult circumstances, and just opening a school even under regular circumstances is pretty difficult. So there was sharp improvement that first year uh, amongst all the schools. But then after that, it really was flat for the schools that stayed open. Uh, and then when we look at the schools that were closed, that those tended to be really low-performing schools and that the schools that were entering uh, being opened up uh, to replace them or, or as new schools were much better than the ones that were being closed. So it was really that process of take, let's take the lowest-performing schools, take them over, you know, be careful in the authorization process to try to identify uh, better schools and, and have, have them and take their place that was really the process that was driving the improvement so
0: these people who were making these decisions seemed to be knowing what they were doing I mean they're, they're making pretty big decisions they're closing some schools they're creating new schools or Bringing in new operators, who who, who's doing all of this? Is this? Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great question. I think there there are a lot of things that uh, that had to go right uh, to make this work. In a prior study we did, we looked at uh, other studies of school closure and takeover, and, and what we found was that in in most of those studies, and most of those were of of traditional public school districts that they really weren't closing the lowest performing schools. When when schools closed, they were not the lowest performing schools and so students were ending up in schools that were either no better or worse than the ones that they were leaving. Um, so to get to make this work, you have to first of all identify, correctly identify the schools that are lowest performing in a value added sense or in a student growth sense. Uh, if you if you just look at the, the test levels, you've got some schools that are uh, they're actually pretty good they don't look as good on the on the usual uh, test level measures because they're starting off at such a low point uh, at the beginning of school but the school's actually helping them grow at a pretty fast rate and a uh, school like that you don't want to close that school down because that that one's actually contributing a lot to, to student learning so the first thing is to correctly identify uh, low performing schools and they did a pretty good job of that they got a little lucky because uh, the uh, Louisiana school performance scores actually do rely mostly uh, at that time really entirely on, on achievement levels, but it happened to be the case, at least in New Orleans, that the, the lowest-performing schools on test levels were also very low-value-added schools. So they got a little lucky uh, in that regard, but in other respects, they, I think they were making good decisions. They had a careful authorization process. They had a, an outside uh, organization. Naxa was... Was reviewing uh, the proposals, and they tried to try to keep it uh, nonpartisan. Um, you know, they uh, they spent resources and, and time incubating new charter school operators. There's a group in town called New Schools for New Orleans uh, that that received uh, philanthropic money to to incubate uh, new uh, charter school operators, uh, so so that when. The the state was looking for new operators to to come in and open new schools or replace uh, other schools that they they had a, a bench of, of possibilities to choose from. So so I think it was a little bit of uh, a little skill, some resources, and a little luck. It all it all came together.
0: Well, so that all sounds good, but was this done at the state level or was this done at the district level? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it on the inside yeah, the that, or yeah. yeah the
1: part that we were we were looking at was really at the state level so you know, right now you can fast forward to present the control of the schools is now back under the local district but that's a, a recent phenomenon that's really only been true for a little over a year so uh, the, t- the period we were looking at was before that occurred, where the state was the charter authorizer. Uh, and was.
0: So we have to be decisions. a little bit nervous, because uh, a system that seemed to have been working, they've now changed. If it ain't broke, yeah. you aren't supposed to fix it.
1: Well, there were lots of reasons for sending uh, control back to the local district. That was really always part of the plan, I think, uh, f- politically and, and perhaps for other reasons as, as well. It, that it was def- that was going to happen, and I think there there was really not much question that it was going to go back to district control. But what's interesting is, it's not really a traditional district anymore. So it's a it's an all charter system, and the law is written in a way that that makes it difficult for the the board to to intervene in the way that school boards usually do or to to be involved in the day-to- day management so they're operating under performance based contracts and the district is mostly what you know, what Paul hill would call the portfolio manager kind of looking at the contract looking at the performance measures checking whether they're they're succeeding and meeting their benchmarks, uh, but that's mostly where the responsibility ends. There's some system-level organization work that they have to do for centralized enrollment, expulsion, discipline, special education. Uh, but uh, most of their responsibility is just uh, monitoring and enforcing these contracts. So it's a different kind of school district, and I think that's, this is really, the you might say, the next revolution. If the first revolution was the, the, the post-Katrina period where they, where they uh, took over the schools and chartered them, uh, now doing that you know, under the auspices of, uh, of a traditional school district with a locally elected board is, is the next big shift.
0: Well, so there's mainly a good news story that you have here, but there is a little bit of a disappointment when you say that in the most recent time period, I forgot when it is exactly, since 2014, uh, you haven't seen so much improvement
1: uh, it's either slowed right. down yeah. or maybe
0: reversed itself.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's right. Starting around 2013, I think that was really the, the peak. Uh, and that's true of um, a wide range of measures uh, that, that, that it started to peak around that point. And I don't think we have a great explanation yet as to, to why that occurred, but I can give you at least some of the the possibilities that are being batted around. So one possibility is that the pressure is just off now. And you know, there was this period right after, Uh, Katrina, when the reforms were first being put in place, that uh, I think uh, the charter operators and the system leaders really were under a a great deal of pressure to to show that this kind of thing could work, uh, they were under pressure from the philanthropists from the media they had the enormous uh, attention paid to this in the in the local papers um, you know there was political vulnerability whether whether this would continue uh in anything like its current form, so there's just a lot of pressure on on the schools individually and on the system leaders to make this work and I think you know now we're at a point where it's i think people see it more as a a fairly permanent thing uh, there's not any immediate threat to its existence.
0: Yeah, there was some so of that, could be
1: that they just took the took the, the pressure off a little yeah, bit.
0: Yeah, there was some of that nationally, you know, whether you you got, had no child left behind and you saw the nationwide uh, uh nape scores were going up and then sort of around two thousand eight, nine or somewhere in there, uh, the test score gains were no longer being registered. Uh, and some people said, well that you had the same thing, you know, at one time you know, it was this feeling you had to you had to be you were being held accountable and now Now, not so much. So do you think there's something to that?
1: Yeah, so it could be that. Uh, Another uh, theory out there is that uh, the the schools are uh, not not as able to attract the same uh, number of teachers who want to be in the system. So it's a, a somewhat similar story in that. You know, in the aftermath of Katrina and with the the initial emergence of this reform system that there was just a ton of interest nationally in this and so you know, they got a lot of applications for teaching positions you know ten times as many as they had slots open uh, in some of those years and you know, now that's starting to taper off there's not quite as much interest it's you know other cities are doing this uh, could people young people coming out of college don't even remember what Katrina was uh, and and so on so there's there may not be uh you know quite the uh the interest in it and given what we know about how important teachers are and, and school leaders are to to any school system uh that that could be another explanation and the third one that uh that's being talked about is the sh- the shift to the common core standards so so the that was at about the same time as as the shift in the test occurred uh that new orleans uh, started to have trouble although it's important to point out that we're comparing new orleans to other districts that were part of the same uh, change in the test, so it's not. Uh, it's not yeah, it's hard that to that hard should've.
0: to uh, uh, give credence to that. If if this is going to be a statewide change in uh, Common Core standards or or statewide standards. How could that possibly have a differential effect in New Orleans? I
1: agree. I'm just trying to describe what what, uh, people are talking about here locally. I I think the first two explanations are are more likely than the last.
0: Well, another one that's out there is you mentioned in your paper that uh, discipline was stricter in the period when they were showing gains than it has been more recently, at least by some measures. Could there be something there that... you've got to have a well-disciplined school if you're going to have effective uh, learning opportunities.
1: Uh, I don't think that's it, partly because I think the schools are still pretty strict. I think they're, they're probably a, a little less intense uh, than they were before, but I still think uh, discipline is, a, is an issue that the schools uh, pay close attention to. I wouldn't say they're, they've sort of gone back by any means to the way they had been uh, before. So, so I don't think that's a, a likely explanation
0: so one of the other things you look at is just the variety of options available to parents uh in in new orleans and uh you you sort of make the point that uh for a while there uh, there was increasing uh, variation in uh the quality and also in just the offerings and now you say it's you see the opposite trend is do you want yeah, to elaborate so at, on that yeah yeah so
1: they're Yeah, we looked at both the variation in performance in terms of uh, achievement growth across schools and also the variation in the types of schools that are available. So uh, on on the quality measure, what happened was that the the variation across schools increased uh, quite a bit, actually, in the immediate aftermath of the reform. Uh, and then gradually declined. So that now it's actually a little bit below what it was beforehand. So it looks like the same process of, of taking over low performing schools was also driving that. So when when you close low performing schools, that you're you're raising the floor and you're reducing the variation by of you know, kind of eliminating those those lowest performers. So that that same process then that was leading to the increase in the average was also leading to to less variation. So that. Families were having access to more consistently uh, having access to higher quality schools. Uh, the other thing we looked at, since test scores are, are not the only thing that that matter here, is the the kinds of programs that were being offered. So we looked at the the schools, whether they were specialized in something like STEM, uh, whether they're alternative schools, whether they're language immersion schools, and so on. And and even really right from the beginning, uh, you, you see. Uh, 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 emergence of a fairly wide variety of options now now locally uh i think there's there's a desire for more of that i think even even those who are pretty supportive of the reforms wish there was even more variety but but i think in, in another study we looked at some other cities uh you know tr- more traditional school districts it's still a fair amount more variety than what you would see in a traditional district but maybe not as much as what you you could have
0: so are there larger lessons here, Doug? I mean, you could say New Orleans is a very special case, almost a unique case. I mean, the, uh, you, not many school systems are going to be totally revamped by a hurricane. So what what's the larger set of lessons for education reform in America?
1: Well, I In this particular study, I think the the focus is on this, this role of, of taking over low-performing schools. And I think that... That idea, you know, uh, for a while, and certainly if you look at other studies, was starting to, to be called into question as a strategy because it didn't seem to be working in other places. And I think part of what we're emphasizing here is that it hasn't been working in other places because they're not actually closing the lowest-performing schools. And what what's different about New Orleans is that they are closing the lowest-performing schools and that they're paying a lot of attention to the schools that – that come in their place uh, and that if you if you do that then then uh, school quality is likely to improve and i think that lesson actually does apply more broadly it suggests that uh, that school districts or anybody who's in charge of a school uh, really needs to think carefully about uh, uh, what what they mean by a failing school, and to make sure they're measuring it carefully, and not just to rely on the you know what what's the score at the end of the year. Uh, that's not, that's not a great indicator. Uh, and if they if they're intervening in schools because it's in an old building or because the test scores are, are low or the school's in a in a high poverty neighborhood, that's not going to lead to improvement uh, over time. And I think that's that's something that uh, is an important lesson, not just for New Orleans but for others as well.
0: Well, thank you, Doug. I've been speaking with Doug Harris, professor of economics at Tulane University and the head of the Education Research Alliance for New Orleans. Uh, He's the senior author of a new report entitled, How is New Orleans School Performance Evolving and Why? Thank you, Doug, for joining me on the Education
1: Exchange. Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the EducationX website every Monday at noon Eastern time.